this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. Today's passage is 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1-5, through 5, and then verses 9-10. through 10. It's the reading for the sixth Sunday after the Pentecost, also known as proper number 9, in the year B cycle of the lectionary, happens to be the lectionary reading for July 4, 2021. This week, we take a careful look at how the story of King David's ascension comes to its conclusion. This narrative in First and Second Samuels has reached its apex with David being anointed king over all 12 tribes of Israel. And from here forward in this narrative in Samuel, then ultimately into Kings, we'll hear about how the Davidic dynasty or the reign of David's household continues. But at its apex, at this very moment in this text we have before us today, we see David becoming king over all 12 tribes. And so I want to focus our attention today in two ways. I want to first talk about David the person. And then second, I want to talk about Jerusalem as the city, for both of them are important parts of this particular reading from the lectionary. If we turn our attention first to David the person, we find that in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we find the rise of David's power. Now from here, the text will then pivot to the nature of David's reign and, well, even his fall. But at this point, we find all 12 tribes coming together under David's leadership. Now, these 12 tribes had really um, centered themselves by being part of two different groupings. The 10 northern tribes would commonly call themselves Israel, and the two southern tribes often would refer to themselves as a singularity called Judah. They were together as a nation, but they were somewhat separate. In the north, these 10 northern tribes called Israel, they had a civil capital, that would eventually become their own capital when this nation will split apart following the death of David's son Solomon. Their civil capital is a place called Samaria, and their religious capital is a city called Bethel. Judah, for its part in the south, with its two southern tribes, made its capital at Hebron, which happens to be the location of the tomb of the patriarchs, where Abraham and Sarah and others are uh, buried. Now, Judah anoints David king after Saul's death. Now, King Saul was David's predecessor, and when Saul died, David became king for all those who lived in Judea, Judah, and they did so with no conditions. But the 10 northern tribes didn't quite come along with that program. Uh, Saul, hailing from the nation of Israel, um, finds that uh, Team Saul, Israel, is engaged in a short civil war against David, led by one of Saul's sons, Ishbosheth. And Ishbosheth uh, leads a failed kind of uh, revolt to make himself king over the ten northern tribes. And after not too much time, David becomes king. But he becomes king over the ten northern tribes in an unusual way, in that he makes a covenant and an agreement with them. And it's after that that the ten northern tribes anoint him king. And when they anoint him king, they make a couple of statements about him that are significant. And in a sense, they're 
quoting what God has said about David, that you will shepherd my people Israel and you will be a ruler over Israel. So they they quote the fact that it seems like David's leadership of Israel is somewhat inevitable, and so they just roll over or capitulate to his leadership. Now, calling a king a shepherd in the ancient world was quite common, and it meant that the, the shepherd, like any shepherd of sheep, goes first. It's it's this notion that the, the king or the monarch leads the people in the direction they should go. And in this case, David, as a follower of God, is invited to then be the leader of the people along that pathway. The shepherd goes first. It's very much in keeping with an idea we read about in the, the New Testament, where the Apostle Paul talks about how Christ is the head of the church, and the word he uses for head in that particular reference, isn't the word for head is uh, being in charge, but it's the word for head to mean to go first, to be the shepherd. Uh, the second thing that the Israelites say about David is not only are is he going to be a shepherd, but he's also going to be a prince or the ruler over them. And so this is the part where the inevitability comes in, where they simply recognize David's leadership over their life and uh uh, the, the dynasty that he's now establishing. You see, this is the story about a shepherd boy who becomes a shepherd king. And David, throughout his life, he lives on this sh- uh, sharp razor between ambition and calling. He knows he's been called to this work of leading the nation of Israel, for Samuel, the prophet and judge, has already anointed him for this. But on the other side of that razor is his own ambition, his own desire to move into leadership and to occupy that space. Now, according to the Israelites, when they come to David, they anoint him their leader and agree to his leadership because they say, number one, he is of their bone and flesh. And this doesn't necessarily have to do that he's biologically related to them, but He has shared in their strengths and their weaknesses. This is an idiom, bone meaning strength, flesh meaning weakness, and that David has shared in them together. The second reason they give is that David has already been leading them. Even while Saul was king, David was leading Israel in and out through all of its battles. And then finally, they believe that David has divine approval. That's why they quote this uh, uh, reference that David is to be a shepherd over his people Israel, and he's to be a leader over them as well. The key passageway here is this, is that what we hear in this story is that leadership is about going first, not being first. It's about going first, not being first. See, David will soon forget this as power floods into his life. And there's going to be more stories about that in the coming weeks. You see, leadership is a sacrificial office. And and David started that way as the one who goes first, like a shepherd. In the ancient world, the shepherd would go before the sheep, and there would be a sheep dog or shepherd dog that would follow the sheep. The shepherd's job is to go first. And if there's any threat or any danger, the shepherd is to sacrifice Leadership is a sacrificial office in a biblical frame. And David's, David's leadership started out in 1 Samuel chapter 16 as a shepherd boy, and now he finds himself as the shepherd king. His leadership is grounded in his own narrative. And as long as he remembers that, 
he will experience blessing. If you want to explore this idea of ethical leadership further, a narrative leadership and narrative ethics, I encourage you to read Walter Fluker's book, Ethical Leadership. It explores some of these dimensions of what it means to lead out of one's own narrative. But for David, everything depends on this. Everything depends on whether he continues to keep himself grounded as the shepherd king or if he's just going to wield power and influence over others like so many other political leaders. Now I want to turn our attention to Jerusalem. Jerusalem the place. Now, the common meaning given to the word Jerusalem is the city of peace. That's close, but not quite there in terms of what it means. During this time when David is ascendant, Uh, over his rulership of all 12 tribes of Israel, the city of Jerusalem is controlled by a group of people who are called Jebusites. They're a a very, very small faction of Canaanites, and they've been inhabitants of the city for a good amount of time. The city of Jerusalem has been around a long time. We find that there's uh, even mentions of the city of Jerusalem in Egyptian writings dating back to the 19th century. So, Almost a full thousand years before this moment in which David becomes king over uh, the nation of Israel. So it's an ancient city. It's very, very old. It's actually not... The the similarity at the end of the name Jerusalem makes it sound like the Hebrew word shalom, which is peace. And that's why people often get confused. But actually, shalom, the ending part of the word Jerusalem is the name of an old deity that was worshipped there, Shalem. And Jerusalem literally means foundation of Shalem. And the first occurrence we see of this deity Shalem is through the king priest who represented Shalem back in Genesis 14. You might remember when Abraham has a meeting with a a king priest named Melchizedek, which that word literally means king priest. Melech is the word for king and Zedek is the word for priest. So he's the king priest over Salem or Shalem. So just because Shalom and Salem sound alike, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are the same thing. But there was something about this city that was unusual and different. There's this deference Abraham showed to Melchizedek, who came from this ancient city that would become known as Jerusalem way back in Genesis 14. And even when David, in this particular passage, takes the city, he takes it in a way in which he doesn't destroy it. As a matter of fact, throughout all of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, there's never a reference being made to some kind of order being given to destroy the city. Now, there are times that the prophets will speak about the city being destroyed, but there's never a divine imperative for its destruction. So there's something deferential about the city of Jerusalem throughout Scripture. Now, in this particular lectionary text, you probably noticed that it skipped over verses 6, 7, and 8. And the reason why the lectionary skips over these verses is that they're some of the most problematic verses in the entire book of First and Second Samuel. What they describe is how the city of Jerusalem became a formidable city. It, 
in the days of David, it was shaped somewhat, somewhat like a triangle. And that at the top point of the triangle was its high point, and then it descended downward on two angles, if you imagine almost to the left or the right, in this case to the east and to the west. And it came down two ridgelines that were very, very steep and had these slopes that made the city easily defendable. So if you put up a wall around the city, it was so easy to defend it that um, the Jebusites would say that even the blind and the lame could defend the city. It was kind of a, a term of mockery that they would use against any would-be conqueror of the city. So as David looks to the city of Jerusalem, the Jebusites say, well, you'll, you'll never take the city because even the blind and the lame can defend the city. So David enters the city not by laying siege to its walls, but he comes through some kind of aqueduct on its southwest ridge, which is uh, called Zion, not Mount Zion, but Zion. And he moves through these aqueducts, and so what he's able to do is enter the city with his soldiers without any kind of siege. There's no impediment. When David enters the city, it doesn't describe any battle in verses 6, 7, and 8. It doesn't talk about any bloodshed. It just simply says that the Jebusites kind of rolled over and assumed the leadership of David. And then the stories about Jerusalem go on in that David end up, ends up taking wives and concubines from the inhabitants of the city. And in kind of this twist um, on the, the mocking terms used around the city of Jerusalem, David excludes the blind and the lame from his city because of the insult the Jebusites leveled upon him. Now, this place is important to understand because, you see, David's dynasty is a careful balance between the 10 tribes of Israel in the north and the two southern tribes called Judah in the south. Jerusalem is actually in neither one of those territories. It's right between them. It's right in the middle of them. So by taking the city, David carves out his own space that's neither in Judah or in Israel. And this is ultimately why he names the city after himself. It's called the City of David. And that southern western part of the city where Zion is, is called the City of David. Even today it's referred to as the City of David. It's not in Israel. It's not in Judah. And it becomes his capital. It's defensible. It's balanced. It's strategic. Jerusalem is an important place for David because it represents the way he's going to hold the tension of these two different parts of his nation together and how he's going to try to unite them. And that leads me really to the second key passageway here is that David's leadership, both internal and external, are harmonious. He has an integrity about him to this point. Using the city in this way, using Jerusalem in this way, is in keeping with his charge to unite the nation. He doesn't necessarily take sides between Israel and Judah. He innovates. He has a, a nuance about how he goes about this work from a kind of a, a political standpoint, but it's also in harmony with who he is as a person. And this is a key marker for effective leadership, seeking a new solution, uh, a, an innovative solution. The narrative of Jerusalem hasn't changed too much all these years later, almost 3,000 years since this moment in which David captured the city. The Palestinians and the Israelis continue to fight over the city of Jerusalem. It's a divided city between east and west. 
So perhaps there's a lesson here about holding this balance and finding an innovative way to nuance uh, between two polarities that seemingly pull so hard against each other. David's leadership, internal and external, in other words, who he is on the inside and what he does on the outside, at this point in our story, at this point in 2 Samuel chapter 5, are harmonious. It may not stay that way for long. And we'll have to wait until the next couple of weeks in the lectionary to find out what happens when David tries to hold this balance when he forgets who he is as shepherd king. That's it for this week. I bid all of you grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.